Welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. This is your friendly neighborhood podcast host, Daniel Bauer. Better Leaders, Better Schools is a weekly show for ruckus makers. What is a ruckus maker? A leader who has found freedom from the status quo. A leader who makes change happen. A leader who never, ever gives up. What would it be like to follow Jim as the next principal? You see, Jim had been there for two decades. Actually, 21 years. And the staff loved him. There you are, day one, and you've been gymmed. What is that? Well, essentially, you are walking in the footsteps of another principal. And as a new principal, you're trying to figure out just who you are, what your leadership voice is, and the footprint and legacy that you'll leave behind. So how do you get from under Jim's shadow? How do you start to make change happen? How do you gain the trust and the credibility and build the relationships that you'll need to take the school to the next level? That's where we start in today's episode with Heather Bell Williams, and I'm so glad you're here, Ruckus Maker. But before we jump into the episode, let's take just a moment to thank our show sponsors. The Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is brought to you by Organized Binder, which increases student active engagement and participation and reduces classroom management issues. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. If you're waiting for your district to develop you, don't hold your breath. What would you be able to accomplish if you poured jet fuel on your leadership development? Rob, a principal in North Carolina, had this to say about his mastermind experience. I have found myself trying more things because I know that I have the support from other amazing school leaders to help guide me through if I get stuck. Turn your dreams into reality and level up your leadership. Apply to the mastermind today at betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash mastermind. Well, thank you, Dr. Kelly Crane, for joining me yet again, expert coach here at Better Leaders, Better Schools with another tip of the week. So this tip, Danny, is about mentoring a group of students. I have heard twice in the last week in our mastermind about some of our leaders mentoring a group of students. And I think it is an awesome thing to do. It puts you back in touch with the kids. It puts you back in touch maybe with some of the things in the classroom. But I think that you need to be enthusiastic. You don't need to be a Debbie Downer and you need to be fun to be around. You need to show kids that you're positive and that you're enthusiastic about leading kids. Maybe it is you want to lead and mentor them in some type of leadership class, or maybe you are an expert in writing, or maybe you are an expert in another field that you can really mentor a group of students. I I think that putting yourself in that position and sharing that knowledge with students builds relationships quicker than you'll ever imagine. It's an amazing gift to give your kids, to just give them unfiltered, undivided attention and to pour into their lives. You're obviously probably going to pick some kids that are, that are high performers or, you know, just people are going to say like they should be in your principal leadership group. But I would challenge the ruckus maker listening, 
pick some kids that are quote unquote dark horses or would be overlooked because, you know, that moment might change everything for them. And if you're a bit nervous about how to run the program, use your two ears and one mouth in that order. So just listen a lot, ask a bunch of questions, be very curious and open-minded, and I promise magic will happen. Heather is chief ruckus maker of a small K-5 school in St. Stephen, New Brunswick, where she and her husband, Garth, have lived for 20 years and raised two great sons. With a focus on community engagement, she is most proud of Summer Intervention Camp, an on-site daycare and the employment of a family coordinator whose sole job is to get kids to school. Welcome to the show, Heather. Hey, Danny. Thanks for having me. This is very exciting. This is. We've known each other for a while, and I'm uh, really pleased to have you on the show. So thank you for stopping by. My pleasure. So, Heather, you created a ruckus just by showing up. And your predecessor was there for 20 years. What's it like to follow in the footsteps? And what did you have to do to, I guess, move into just who you are, right, as a school leader? Mm. It's a great question. We, The vice principal and myself that showed up, it's 16 years ago now, would have uh, said that very thing. We're creating a ruckus. We're creating a stir and a change just by our very presence, just by showing up and taking these jobs. And so after 21 years as a principal, my predecessor retired and I had worked for him. I had worked with him uh, for a number of years during that time as when he was principal. And I learned a tremendous amount from him. At the same time, we were very, very different. We had great professional respect for one another but certainly approached things from a different perspective. And uh, he was very old school, very traditional in his expectations of staff and children and, and of parents and of his relationships with all of those stakeholders. And so when, when Eric, our vice principal at the time, and myself showed up, we, we felt like we were living in his shadow. Uh, we certainly were a little bit concerned about people we called it, uh, his name was Jim, and we called it Jimming. We made up a verb, a new verb. We'd get gymmed all the time, and we used to keep track of how often we'd get gymmed in a day or a week. And we felt like we had to be ourselves, be true to ourselves, but also let people adjust, recognizing it was a huge change for staff uh, and parents in the community who had been uh, used to Jim's leadership style, that we had to... Um, Head softly and spend the first six months or so just listening to people, letting things unfold on a typical yearly schedule, and then set about to make some changes. We felt like our, our presence was such a huge change that we had to let the water settle a little bit. So we, we took some time to just listen and tread softly and then start to make a few subtle changes. I like that. So what I'm hearing you say is uh, just by showing up, you're already making change. That was, that was causing the ruckus. Uh, Jim had been there. 21 years, you were getting gymmed for the first six months. So you were just building relationships. And I, I like the, the words you used, letting things unfold, right? Just, I see that as uh, not gripping, gripping it so tightly, right? You're ready to make change. You know what you want to do. You have some ideas, but you let things unfold. And then you said uh, six months later, you started some subtle changes. Do you remember maybe what a subtle change looked like? Because the ruckus maker listening has a big idea for her school, right? She wants to do something uh, really impactful in the community. 
but you don't start there. You start with the subtle. So what, what did that look like? Thanks for asking. It's it's good to recollect the journey we've been on because as I look back on my on my tenure here, for a variety of circumstances, I've been in this role for 15 years now. This is year 16. And when I started out, I never would have anticipated perhaps, you know, equaling or getting close to Jim's tenure as a principal. And I think for a while, I saw that as a bit of a failure. I saw that long-term piece as a bit of a failure, just circumstances. We we were happy in this town. I was happy with the work. Um, I got itchy feet a few times. So just that notion of being here longer term has been so good and for a variety of reasons that I'll speak to a little bit later. But going back to those, to those little baby steps that we took at the beginning, it was a big struggle for me because like you said, I had such huge ideas. I, I wanted to change some things. By temperament, I would be a doer. I would have that sense of urgency that that we needed to make some changes and get things done. And when I don't sort of make all those changes that I think I need to be making, and when I don't check enough things off my to-do list, I tend to think we're not actually doing anything. So it was a real struggle for me. I had some great coaching and I, I worked with a great administrative partner who kept saying to me, Heather, you're out front, you're leading from out front, but you forgot to turn around again. Like you forgot to turn around and check to see that those people were behind you and that people, you need to go back and be in the parade with them, walk alongside them and slow down. And so I wouldn't say that I was really great at doing subtle, small changes. I had some great people around me who who pushed me and who held me accountable to say, no, you're doing it again. You're too far out front. So some of the subtle changes that we did really work at making was around the whole teaming and around the whole professional learning community structure. It had been tradition that teachers worked in silos, in classrooms. I'm the grade four teacher and I teach in room 162 and I've done it that way forever. And so even just those subtle changes, we started to invite people to move classrooms, to move spaces. Hey, would you would you ever consider moving down here beside your grade partner? Um, you could do some really cool things together. You're a little closer geographically. So we started with people who were willing. There weren't lots of willing people. People were afraid of those kinds of changes. But we started small, and we we started with those kinds of physical moves. Those are pretty low cost for people. There, there's not a lot of um, fear involved in that. There's no risk of failure. It's, would you like to move and be closer to a team teaching partner? And then we started saying things like, gee, now you're close in proximity to your your grade level teaching partner. Um, Are there pieces to your week that you'd like to try working together? Would you like to try grouping some kids? And so very, what, again, we perceive to be smaller, subtle changes with people who were willing and then over time, it became the norm. It became more, um, it became an expectation that we meet together. We started to be able to reschedule things. So in year two, we changed our schedule up just enough that we allowed uh, grade level teams to have a half hour a week during the instructional day where their classes were covered uh, by Eric and I, and then they had an opportunity to meet. That didn't go beautifully at the beginning. You know, you put two people together or three people together. Uh, we're not there because we're covering your class. And, and so you can imagine some of the stuff that emerged from that. There was 
there were great initiatives, you know, and there was some, there was some conflict that emerged. And so again, it was baby steps, but when I look back on it, super proud of all that we've accomplished over, over that longer term. You had a a great trustworthy uh, confidant that could say, Heather, you've done it again. You're out front. Absolutely. What an important reminder. Uh, You talked about inviting people to the change, which is wonderful because a lot of times um, you think it's directive, right? And you're being uh, too strong, maybe saying like, we are doing this, but the invitation is so powerful. And the other thing I I want the ruckus maker to remember is uh, the idea of your to-do list versus the school and the feelings that bubble up. Because again, you have the big, big audacious vision. And you said, if you didn't check something off that list, you felt like you weren't doing anything, but that's not true. It just, it wasn't happening as fast as you'd like. So that great reminder that you're out front reflecting on the things that were happening, I think is a a really an interesting idea. So I appreciate you sharing that. One of the things that that I've been learning over my entire career, and I, I must be a slow learner because I need reminders all the time, that whole notion of slowing down the bus. And, you know, even as recent as this summer, reading in your Go community, reading the book, uh, Emotional Intelligence 2.0. Yeah. I think I'm pretty self-aware. I've been at this for a while. And, you know, I read that book in it, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I did the assessment and I'm not very self-aware. I'm not aware of my impact on other people's emotions and, or my, my emotional impact on other people. And I realized I went to some, again, to some trusted confidants. I'm, I'm blessed to have some really great people in my life, uh, professional colleagues, as well as friends who aren't educators. And I said, so what's the deal? What, what is it? What am I doing? And to a person, they said, Heather, you have such high expectations. You have such a sense of urgency to get things done and to make a difference that you certainly unknowingly, uh, but I was giving off the message that people couldn't keep up and that my staff couldn't keep up. And I thought back to those early days with Eric and, and he was saying, you're doing it again. And so there's a constant reminder that I need. I, I have it written all over the place now in my, my day timer and on spots on my desk. Uh, slow down and invite people. I use that word that you use, invite people uh, into this. They're adults and your to-do list is not the most important thing here. Uh, school improvement certainly is, is central to what we do, but, but stop running over people or, or start considering more your emotional impact on people. Uh, certainly it was unintentional. I never would want to come across that way, but been learning tons recently about that very same thing. It's powerful. Thank you for sharing it because uh, we don't realize, you know, we're, we're as a ruckus maker, we're making change happen. We're breaking free from the status quo. We're never, ever given up. And through the pursuit of that journey, the unintended consequence is sometimes that people feel like they're not uh, living up to your expectations or not doing a, enough to keep pace. So that's a, a really profound uh, aha, you know, for you and for the listener. Absolutely. And, and then having enough, I don't know, having people in your life, life to help you be able to um, find a balance then mm-hmm. because I'll get bored right? I know myself. And if I, but, but then I'll get bored and either I 
we'll start looking for other things to do, which isn't a bad thing. But I, I might check out a little bit too of certain initiatives if I feel like we're not making any progress. And so one of the pieces that I have as my own challenge personally and professionally is to find that balance between um, between feeling like I'm accomplishing things and that I'm still making a difference in this community, mm-hmm. but not running over people and not leaving awake. It's a, it's a fierce conversations principle to know to what your emotional wake is and to not leave that wake behind you of people who are left feeling like they can't keep up. They can't measure up. I recently read a book called Atomic Habits. So uh, Nancy, if you're listening, thank you for recommending that book. Uh, but the idea I want to share with you, Heather, and the ruckus maker listening, uh, one, of the, one of the big ideas I took away is uh, elite performance is being able to handle that boredom to continue to show up, right? And, and put in the reps, probably because you are so far ahead, you are innovating, you know, making change happen. But if you could continue to show up through the monotony, the, you know, and think about any sort of like, well, you were talking about hockey, you know, in, in the pre-chat with me, but those guys to perform at their best, they're doing these drills over and over, like for decades, right? To be at the top of their game. I'm sure they get sick of it at some point. But because they do the little things and, and pay attention and continue through the boredom, they're able to uh, get some wins. I love that analogy. So the name of the book was Atomic Habits? Yeah, correct. And awesome. I'll make sure that we uh, we link that up for everybody, too, in the show notes. Beautiful. That's going to go on my to-read list. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's pause here just for a moment for a message from our sponsors. Better Leaders, Better Schools is proudly sponsored by Organized Binder, a program which gives students daily exposure to goal setting, reflective learning, time and task management, study strategies, organizational skills, and more. Organized Binder's color-coded system is implemented by the teacher with the students, helping them create a predictable and dependable classroom routine. Learn more and improve your students' executive functioning and non-cognitive skills at organizedbinder.com. We're back with Heather Bell Williams, and we had a lovely conversation in the first half of this show uh, talking about following uh, a a principal who had been there for 20 years, the subtle changes you make, and some self awareness epiphanies that she had. And now that you've been there, Heather, for 15 years, you've earned the right, you have the trust, the credibility, the relationships to do bigger changes, not just subtle changes. And one of those things has to do with some amazing work with community innovation. So what is your school doing around that? Well, about 10 years ago, our school district was um, privileged to hire uh, some community schools coordinators and those people. So I have a community schools coordinator. Uh, She too is one of the chief ruckus makers here in our building. Her name's Kathy. And she works two-thirds time with us. And uh, her job was to put feet to the kind of visions that we as a staff had for what could happen in our community. So we started by looking at academic performance uh, and saying we've got a lot of kids who over the summer, uh, this was about 10 years ago, over the summer, uh, they do a summer slide academically in either math or language arts in particular. Uh, we saw a drop in their skills and we found that we were spending so much time at the beginning of the school year 
uh, working through catch-up work, really, and trying to get kids back to where they were when they left in June. Uh, in our school district, we we leave school the third week in June, and we come back the first week in September with students. And we're still built on this crazy farming schedule that's been like that for 100 years. And for better or worse, we were giving these kids this big, long break. And it wasn't good for them academically. And it, it seemed to be across socioeconomic groups. We looked at all of our kids and post pre-testing, post-testing. So we said, here's what we're going to try. I wonder what would happen if we did a summer camp or we're going to do a summer intervention, really a summer school for little kids. We're not going to call it summer school for little kids. We're going to call it summer camp. The kids named it the first summer 10 years ago, and they called it the super duper fun, fun, fun camp. So we started with 21 kids, which is a class full of kids here in New Brunswick. One teacher, uh, we partnered with the Boys and Girls Club, uh, a local not-for-profit. And basically we said, I wonder what will happen if we spend four days a week mornings doing some academic intervention in math and language arts, and then afternoons we'll, we'll feed them, we'll do all those campy kinds of things, lots of fun experiences that kids might not always have access to. And then on Friday, we think we'll take them on a trip somewhere really cool, out of town, somewhere where they wouldn't typically get to go in the summer. So we did a lot of I wonders and we got a lot of weird looks from people. They thought we were crazy. It was an expensive proposition. We had to raise the money, about $1,000 a child to do that kind of summer camp here. So we got money from not-for-profits, from business leaders, from alumni, from this building. Uh, we got money all over the place. We we went finding the money and we've had great success. Our results year after year would say, if a kid comes to camp, guess what? They're going to stay the same or even get better. Uh, our goal was simply to reduce the summer slide, to not have them go back academically. And our data would be consistent with that 95%, 98%, 94%. So we're always in the mid to high 90s uh, in terms of percents of kids who stay the same or get better. Uh, so it's it's been a raging success. It's not a it's not a rocket science kind of idea. It was just, I wonder what would happen if we gave them some academics over the summer and gave them something to do that was productive. It's grown over time. Uh, we've had as many as three classes of children. We've been up over 60 students. We, about five years ago, had a lot of newcomers from uh, Syria in particular. And so that posed a different set of needs for those students because they were English language learners. So our third class for a couple of summers involved uh, English language learners and a teacher specific to those needs. Um, the great news is that those kids have have caught up and are just as capable as their grade level peers that have been here their whole school career. Uh, so we're back to two classes of students who receive that kind of intervention every summer. So it's it's a big deal in terms of the money that we need to raise, but it's such a no-brainer in terms of the kinds of results that we get. So that's grown over time. We've we've changed it up. We've looked at kids who come to camp all the time. We look at our data every summer, every fall, and say, gee, there's kids that come to camp. They're making gains, but they're still way behind their grade level peers. So what can we do for those kids? And so we're, we're constantly trying to rework our, our grant money that we receive from not-for-profits to do the best for those kids and to get the best academic performance from them. Uh, we've, we've changed it up so that 
Some of those students now have after-school tutoring in reading and writing for three hours a week, two hours a week, depending on their needs. So we've We've tried to take our money and our, our, our resources, and we've tried to be responsive and say, these kids really benefit from summer camp. Uh, these students would benefit from summer camp and some after-school tutoring uh, during the school year. So we're trying to do whatever it takes to get those children to academic performance levels that are consistent with their grade level peers. What's great about that story is you have the, the data and the results to say it's been a success. So you said 94, 96, 98, like kids are staying the same or getting better doing the uh, super duper fun, fun, fun camp. You got I it. think you got, you got a it. name. And uh, so kid, that's a success. And it'd be really easy to then get complacent, I would think. And I love how you continue to question and wonder uh, and, and just yeah, reconsider how can we make some subtle shifts too to add value to these kids' lives, continue to help them and push them. So that's that's incredible. It couldn't have been easy. I'm, I'm sure, like you said, the community looked at you, uh, wow, this, this is a bit strange at times, but then you have your staff as well. So putting in the structure, getting the grant money, defining the boundaries, the logistics, like that's one part of the leadership. But then getting your people on board and changing mindsets has to be quite another thing. So how did you win over the staff and change their mindset? That's a great question. At the beginning, we were pretty aware that this was a big jump for a lot of people. Again, even just the notion of, and I don't know what it's like in in other jurisdictions, but the notion of the school physical plant And it would be a tradition that everybody get out of the way for the entire summer so that custodians can clean the floors and get everything looking shiny and new. And one of the things that, I mean, we would get a memo from our district office in June saying, don't forget, don't let anybody in the school during the month of August so that everybody can get everything clean and ready for for September. And I, I very respectfully, but but still strongly suggest to people that I visit other government buildings like hospitals and other places quite regularly and their floors are clean and shiny and everything's spick and span and they don't shut down for six weeks to do it. They find creative ways to do that kind of thing. So the first group of people that I had to really work with and and walk beside were our custodians because they they stood, it cost them the most. It costs them. If you consider uh, we're a little small school, we don't have sort of a wing where we can put everyone at summer camp over in one section. And so you've got two custodians trying to clean the place and we have as many as 60 kids, you know, taking part actively in summer camp activities and eating lunch and cooking lunch and having snacks and running through sprinklers, as well as having classroom intervention in language arts and math. It's it's a little bit cumbersome. It's they're in the way. And so we did a lot of coffee and donuts with our custodians every spring. We would start in sort of March, uh, having meetings with our custodians, laying out the very same way that we would with the staff that teach at summer camp, laying out the adverse childhood experiences theory, the work around trauma, the work around socioeconomic status. Who are these kids that come to summer camp and why do we want to do camp for them? 
And so we, we really appeal to their hearts first and to their stomachs because we give them lots of coffee and donuts. And, and then we really feel that we believe that we have them on board by, by April, May, when we're talking about concrete plans for camp, and this is the room we're going to use, and these are the kinds of things we're going to do, our custodians to a person have been fantastic. So they were the first group that we really, and it's ongoing because that they're not always the same people. And so we really have to make sure that our custodians are on board and understand philosophically why we're doing what we're doing and what the alternatives are and aren't for the kids that come to camp. Then we uh, needed to look at the teaching staff, not only the teachers that we would invite to teach at summer camp, they were pretty much on board. If you say yes to wanting to take that summer camp teaching contract, you're, you're already on board. You know why you're doing it. But there's still a lot expected of classroom teachers who aren't at camp because we're asking them for their data in June. We're asking them to do some very specific pre-camp testing so that we have our data. All of our funding is based on, on data and results. And so we have to have that, uh, but that's extra work for teachers. And so again, we try really hard to always be talking about our core values and why we're doing what we're doing at camp and what it means for those kids, not just academically, but socially and, and have a fun summer where there's lots of cool stuff to do. And so the pre-testing and post-testing is is a lot of work, extra work for our staff that may not be teaching at camp, but it's still a lot of extra. We'd also do a lot of staff training with that. We would have a combination of teachers as well as uh, teenage boys and girls club workers who would be, they would be doing the campy kinds of activities. They'd be helping with meals. They would be on grant programs. We would do two full days of staff training with them. Uh, and my vice principal and I would do that. We take that on because we want that message to get through so clearly of why we're here and who are the kids that we serve uh, and what's their reality in terms of, of chronic poverty, of ongoing trauma, adverse childhood experiences, and why they need to be here so badly. Heather, what message would you put on all school marquees across the globe if you could do so for just a day? I would put here's to bigger books. And I would tell you this story of, of why I love that. Here's to bigger books, uh, quote from a friend of mine. When I, it was about 10 years ago and I had a new vice principal who has since become one of my closest friends. Her name was Melissa. And we, I received a call from our superintendent partway through a day and they were asking me if I would go to another school and take on a second school because the principal was sick. It would mean a big change in my vice principal's life here. She would be in charge primarily here. I'd be going back and forth. And I said, that sounds like a great idea. It sounds like a fun adventure, but I really need to talk to Melissa, my vice principal colleague. And so I asked Melissa if I could meet with her at a certain time. And she said, sure, do I need to bring my book, meaning her journal book where she wrote everything down? I said, sure, you probably need to do that. So I tell her in the meeting what they're proposing. And she sat back and said, oh my gosh, I need to get a bigger book. And that was the premise for a great relationship that she and I have had for about 10 years in terms of an administrative team and in terms of friends. Here's to bigger books. And that's our that's our tagline. Um, we're open to most things. We might need to get a bigger book to write down some ideas and to keep track, but let's always try to have that flexibility and get a bigger book. Bigger books and bigger dreams. That is a great yeah. story. Yeah. Here's to bigger books. 
You're building a school from the ground up. You're not limited by any resources. Your only limitation is your imagination. How would you build your dream school and what would be your top three priorities? I thought about that question, Danny, and I talked about, I, I came down to flexibility and I came down to, I'd want flexible spaces. I believe with so much, as I look back on my journey here in this building, so much of the thing, so many of the things that we've had to overcome have been around non-flexible spaces. I, I alluded to those silos earlier. And so I would want flexible space, movable walls, uh, that kind of thing, so that we could uh, change things up either on the fly or or still rather quickly. I also would want flexible adults. I'd want those those adults that I talked about in the last story around bigger books, a group of flexible adults who who were game to have bigger books. And and then I'd like flexible grading. I know that there's been lots of jurisdictions that have uh, had success with kids in flexible groups, not necessarily stuck in a grade one because you're six and grade two because you're seven kind of standard. So I would be looking at flexible spaces, flexible grown-ups within those spaces who like their bigger books and flexible grading. Heather, I've really enjoyed our conversation. And thanks again for being a part of the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. Of all the things we talked about today, what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? I'd want everybody to remember to be super self-aware. I think as I look back on my journey, I wasn't always self-aware of of my emotional impact on other people. And I'd want everybody to be super aware of your own strengths and weaknesses and your temperament and what you're bringing to the table, because then you can lean into your strengths. You can lean in and you can and play to your strengths and you can get incredible things done when you know what your own strengths are. Uh, And then also just knowing what your own weaknesses are and being able to uh, trust the people around you to hold you accountable for those Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed.